And good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, or whatever the world may be where you are. On this rotating globe, we're in 190 countries, so we basically cover the world. If you're listening, as I saw the, you know, a few weeks ago, I saw someone listening from the center of Australia. And the only place I know in the center of Australia, in the middle of that desert, is Pine Gap, run by the <clears throat> NSA and the CIA. So apparently we have, you know, friends and family or, or fans at uh, Pine Gap. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. This morning, we're going to do something really, really, really cool. I mean, this is not an overhyped statement, but we're going to demonstrate in the next three hours how you can run your car on water. Let me say that again. We're going to demonstrate with absolute scientific and engineering proof and evidence and hands-on how you can do this for not that much money, actually. Your car can run on water. Now, why is this important? Well, that's what we're going to talk about over the next three hours. Before we get to my guest, who is, as I said in my blog talk promo, a citizen engineer, citizen inventor, I have a few items I want to talk about. Uh, this morning, let me refresh my screen here. This morning, NASA successfully launched the first mission to Mars since Curiosity left back in 2011. This is called the InSight mission. Insight being an acronym, and I don't remember the acronym, so please don't ask. The reason it's important is because it's going to get there in November. I think on November 26th, land on a place called Elysium, which is kind of archetypal, different spelling of the uh, so-called Elysian fields, the fields of the dead, of the afterlife, of after this, the new beginning, that kind of thing. I mean, it's all incredibly because it's NASA symbolic and ritualistic. I had someone call me, or not call me, they sent me an email and they said, is there any significance to where the InSight mission, which is an unmanned robot, uh, is going to land? And I didn't know. Frankly, I didn't. In fact, they were very mysterious in the various press releases. They don't really tell you where InSight. <clears throat> InSight? InSight, of course, InSight. I mean, this is multiple levels of puns and metaphor and meaning. I hope you I hope you really get that. NASA, never a straight answer. So they've encoded all this wonderful upper-level symbology into an InSight mission, which is going to land on the plains of Elysium, which is just 376 miles north, 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 west, just a tad to the left, of where Curiosity landed in Gale Crater. So obviously they wanted to land this thing on the same meridian as Gale. I wonder why. It carries instrumentation that's going to do amazing things. I mean, this is really, this is this is getting down to the, what, how, how does Mars tick? One measurement is going to measure the radio signal from the lander to within an accuracy on the surface of Mars of, get this, one foot, 0.3 meters, one foot. They will know the exact location at any moment in time, looking at the Mars of the DSN, the Deep Space Network, listening to the frequency of the radio signals, the radio transmissions from the lander, to within one foot. And they'll do that millions of times during the course of uh, the mission. Now, why is that important? Because that will give us the shake, rattle, and roll of the surface of Mars where the lander is sitting. In other words, 
assuming that Mars doesn't have an ocean. It doesn't. It's okay. And it's solid. The whole planet's connected on the surface, right? What moves over there moves over here. The planet as a whole moves as a whole. By being able to measure its precision to within a foot in inertial space as Mars moves around the sun and as it rotates on its axis, they're going to get all kinds of amazingly cool, much higher precision information, including the current active precession of the planet Mars. Like, you know, the Earth precesses. It takes 26,000 years, give or take, to, to wobble once. Well, Mars precesses. Now, the Mars precession rate should be very different than the, the Earth's because it doesn't have a big moon. It has two little tiny moons that are like fleas compared to Lassie. I mean, they're, they're gravitationally nothing. So Mars precession should be intrinsic to bodies spinning in space, which in classical mechanics, unless you move stuff around inside, they don't precess. But in hyperdimensional physics, there is an innate precession of any rotating object. And that number is going to come out of this mission for the first time in the entire history of the space program. The other thing they're measuring is uh, Mars quakes. They're drilling down something like 16 feet and, and feeling not only the um, uh, uh, thermal environment, but also with another instrument that is kind of related, they're measuring Mars quakes to a precision of, get this, the width of a hydrogen atom. If the instrument shakes, by the width of a hydrogen atom, and all kinds of things can do the shaking, noise, wind, you know, whatever, in addition to Mars quakes, they've got a mechanism screening out all the other stuff, and they're focusing only on the intrinsic vibrations inside Mars, which will give them all kinds of insight, <clears throat> that word again, into how Mars is made up, you know, layered like an onion, like the Earth. You know, you've got a core, you've got an inner core, an outer core, and you got the mantle, and you got the crust, etc. Well, we've never had data of the interior of Mars until this mission. Remember, it gets there in November of this year, 2018. And that will tell them all kinds of stuff. And I saw some projections of what they're expecting to find. I'm going to make you a little bet. Because they're running on classical planetary dynamics as opposed to hyperdimensional physics, their interior model of Mars is wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. And there'll be all kinds of press releases about puzzling measurement readings and all that that correspond to a planet that's not dead, like the main models predict, but is actually is still alive because it only, quote, died about 66 million years ago. And that gets into... All kinds of really, really cool stuff. Anyway, that mission is, is left from Vandenberg this morning at 7.05 Eastern Time AM and is headed for Mars. And it will get there at the end of this year. This is the year of Mars, all right? So Kinthea and I are going to talk about our workshop, our, our imaging workshop a little later in the show. And we're going to relate it to the really, really cool stuff that's going to be found on Mars. So wish them well. I want to take a moment here and talk about something very serious. If you go to the other side of midnight.com and you click on radio with pictures and or the graphic, actually click on the graphic for tonight's show, scroll down. That's for May 5th. Scroll down on the guest page. Item number one is the Insight Mission. Item number two, 
my longtime friend and colleague, also in addition to Art Bell, Chuck Harder, died a couple, three weeks ago, the same day that Barbara Bush died. So, of course, that completely overwhelmed the news. Chuck Harder is not well known, but he should be because as much as Art revolutionaries, revolution, I'll do it right, revolutionized nighttime radio, Chuck Harder revolutionized daytime radio and paved the way for Rush Limbaugh, among other things. He also did a whole bunch of really cool stuff on the air. Well, uh, rather than telling you, let me read you what uh, uh, Tom Donahue, who runs TalkStream Live, actually wrote as an obituary for Radio Online. Quoting, Chuck Harder had an illustrious radio broadcast career that spanned decades. Harder had been a prominent radio DJ, talk show host, creator and founder of radio stations, talk radio network, satellite systems, cable TV and newspaper projects. Does that sound familiar? Chuck worked in New York City, Tampa Radio and other markets, eventually leading to national syndication. Harder was on the forefront of broadcast evolution, forging new paths. He started the Sun Radio Network and with all the people radio program and organization based in Tampa, Florida. Following a fallout with his new network business partners, he went on to form a new radio network, the People's Radio Network, relocating to the Telford Hotel in White Springs, Florida. Know it well. Visited him many times there. An amazing place. They should put a brass plaque on the wall of the Telford. Chuck Harder was here. Harder's For the People radio show was heard on more than 300 radio stations and shortwave. I remember him touting endlessly on the phone to me about the new shortwave. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be huge. It's going to be, you know, we'll cover the world. Chuck was beloved by a large, loyal following, and his show was hugely popular and made a profound difference in their lives. I mean, I can tell you it made a profound difference in my life because my first radio network regular gig before art was with Chuck Harder on a phone from a farm in the middle of nowhere in, in Virginia. He would call up randomly in the afternoon and say, you want to do something? You know, you got any new news from NASA and stuff on your stuff? And we talked about the monuments of Mars. We talked about NASA. We talked about all kinds of spacey stuff um, long before art. Chuck Harder's program, with the exception of Rush Limbaugh, was the most listened to syndicated show in prime daytime. Harder's show and network supplied and sustained so many small market independently owned stations, and Chuck's show was carried by some of the big stations in major markets. Chuck had a golden radio voice and was a complete natural on-air broadcaster. If any radio talent and consummate broadcaster deserves a place in the Radio Hall of Fame, it is Chuck Harder. Amen. I miss him, and I miss art, and it's like things are moving, moving in the dark. If you go to the third item in Radio with Pictures tonight, let me go back here. Um, Hawaii is doing something very interesting. There is a major Hawaii Kilauea volcano eruption underway, and homes have been destroyed. A lot of people, I think something like 2,000, have had to evacuate including one guy who was on CNN last night with Natalie Allen, who uh, was mourning the fact that he couldn't take his cats, four cats. Well, cats are smart. They'll, they'll leave. They will maybe even find him again. I mean, it's uh, 
It's a strange time. Now, what I find interesting about this, other than it's, it's doing its thing, is where it's doing its thing. At 19.5, as the physics changes, remember, some of the changes are entropic. They're in three space. There's more energy sloshing around. There's more heat, etc. And so whatever's going on in the magma chamber underneath, underneath Kilauea has decided to do it now and to erupt in something. I mean, they had a 6.9 earthquake when part of the volcano, a very small part, collapsed the other morning. Uh, 6.9, that's, that's, that's huge. I haven't had that big an earthquake in Hawaii for almost 50 years. Anyway, if you're in Hawaii and listening, uh, stay safe and watch the volcano because as the physics changes, I don't think this thing's going to die down anytime soon. In fact, it could get it could get bigger. It could get worse. So be prepared. Final item. The Eta Aquarid meteor shower of 2018 is peaking tonight in the pre-dawn hours after the show is off. So you might go on, want to go out and take a look. Um, the radiant is in the constellation of Aquarius, and that's between Pegasus and Capricornus. And it's pretty low on the horizon of the Northern Hemisphere after 3 a.m., so the radiant, meaning the, the point where the meteors are all going to come from, is kind of low in the atmosphere, and so all the dim ones you won't see. But the bright ones you will, and if you're really lucky, you may see one streak from the horizon to the horizon in the west or in the northwest. That's a tangential meteor in the, the um, uh, Aquarius. By the way, the, the Aquarian meteor shower is formed by the detritus of Halley's Comet. We cross its orbit right now, tonight. And remember, Halley's is way out in the outer solar system, not due back until 2061. But we're crossing the debris field of Halley's Comet. And then in October, we cross it again. And that meteor stream are called the Oranids because the radiant has moved around from Aquarius over to Orion. You know, so. And if you want more explanation, you can go to Google. Google's your friend, etc. When we come back, we're going to introduce my guest, a man who literally, who literally has been able to get a car, and we're going to go into some detail in that, to run on water, which is kind of cool. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy's feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head And they keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done He's sleeping on the job And those raindrops are falling on my head And they keep falling But there's one thing My guest this morning is Walter Jenkins, who has had a remarkably interesting and diverse career, as all eclectic, imaginative, and creative people seem to, who happen by this show. So let me give you a bit of a thumbnail sketch of his background and tell you why you definitely want to be listening this morning to Walt as he describes the creation of a car that runs on water. Walt was born in Monterey, California, shortly after the end of World War II. His father was a bomber pilot in the United States Air Force and continued 
a lifelong career in the Air Force, retiring as a colonel. Walt grew up in many different countries as the family was reassigned to duty stations overseas. His father retired to Sarasota, Florida, where he had grown up. Walt developed a passion for motion pictures as an art form as he was growing up and moved to Hollywood, California in his 20s. He spent most of the 1970s in the film business and developed the world's first virtual set system for the motion picture industry and several other computer-based technologies, such as non-linear computer-based editing. He has designed and installed broadcast TV stations and private production and post-production facilities for government, commercial and broadcast clients, and turnkeyed the engineering with cutting-edge technologies, some of which he designed. Walt managed a broadcast TV station in Orlando, Florida during the late 1990s. Now, in the mid-1980s, he began working on alternative fuel systems for cars as a hobby. By the early 2000s, he was working on hydrogen extraction from water, electrolysis, and trying to find more efficient ways to get fuel energy from the water, more efficient than electrolysis could deliver. Walt soon abandoned electrolysis and created a new proprietary way to capture the potential energy of the fuel in water. And eventually, he was able to convert water to a clean fuel with less than 180 milliamps of input power at 24 volts DC and to run engines entirely on the water fuel, a mix of up to 97.5% water with just 2.5% gasoline. The resulting research was very promising and the technology unique, but he was in the area researched by himself and researching thunderclouds, lightning, their processes led to a new discovery, a very efficient way of extracting fuel energy from charged particles in high energy states. This led Jenkins to design a new energy extraction process to run cars or any internal combustion engine even commercial jet turbines, using the energy extracted solely from water. Now an internal combustion engine run, can run cleanly on water-based energy using the H2 global process, which is the name of Jenkins' uh, alternative fuel process. Walt has patents now filed around the world on the technology of creating low-cost clean fuel energy from water and also on new high-energy plasma spark plugs, based on Nikola Tesla's theories. Walt has pioneered a new way to bring the power of lightning and the thunderstorm into an internal combustion engine, I might add, without destroying it. <clears throat> they can run completely now on clean water-based energy or mixed with fossil fuels in almost any ratio. I mean, this sounds too good to be true, but it's not, as you're going to hear in the next couple, three hours. The process can yield up to 97.5 cleaner emissions and 97.5% less costly fuel energy than gasoline. The newest iteration of this technology, which we're going to talk about at length tonight, is a 100% clean water-based fuel made from either fresh or seawater. This summer, seawater trials began on a catamaran in Tampa Bay. It's being equipped to pump seawater into an H2 Global Water Energy Conversion Box, extract clean fuel energy to run the engines, and then return the seawater as pristine as it was into Tampa Bay. Walt, welcome to the other side of midnight, Miracle Man. 
<laughs> Thank you, Richard. How the heck? Well, before we get to how you've done this, you know, let, let, let's tease people, okay? Let's let's make them wait sure. for the good stuff, you know? I mean, they get in for free, they can wait for the good stuff. I want to go back to early Walt Jenkins. After your dad settled back in Florida and you're growing up and you're a kid and you're... How did you wind up in such an incredibly diverse area as film and motion pictures and then migrate over to engineering of a cutting edge, you know, ether-based energy technology. I mean, that's one hell of a spread. Well, uh, I, I would have to say, you know, I, I was always creative. I, I was a paint, uh, and when I was 12 years old, I painted pictures, and uh, I sold a few. And in high school, I sold a few to teachers and oil oil on canvas. Mm. And I did sculpture, and I was very creative in the arts, and I. I a lot of creative energy, but I also had a knack for technical and very technical devices. And I was always very inventive and things like that. So to me, it came natural. I did not pursue engineering in school, although I had an attraction to it. But um, the the creative side was stronger on me as a pull. And um, the reason I got out of painting and art and sculpture and that kind of thing was because I realized that motion pictures were all of that combined, but they added a new dimension, which was time. You could create something that would show over a period of time. And of course, there was a technical art to that and a, being a director and a writer and a producer and all of those skills. I had to learn them all. And I, I eventually did. And I love, I have a passion still for that uh, technology and, and that um, calling in life, I guess. But uh, my, actually, my foray into hydrogen and oxygen uh, splitting of water and those kind of things came in around, um, well, I started on alternative fuels as a hobby, like you said, in the 80s. But well, wait, wait, wait. You're, you're, you're working in movies, working in television. You're doing yeah. some very high-end stuff, which is incredibly difficult and creative. How did you have time to worry about what was under the hood? I mean, really? Well, I, I've always liked cars and working on them and, and how systems work. I'm very curious about that. And, uh, you know, like any American teenager with a car, I, I just liked what was under the hood and how they worked. And My first car was a 57 dual-carb Chevy. Ah. Uh, Turquoise green. I'll bet you wish you had it today. Oh, my God. <laughs> It'd be worth a fortune today. Yes, it would. Ah. It would. But um, um, the the technical side always appealed to me, and uh, I've always been curious, and uh, I guess another characteristic of mine, I, I don't know if it's a fault or a characteristic, but if I want something and I, I'm determined to go after it, I drill down right down to as far as you can go. And uh, I will do the research. I will expand my knowledge base to, to wrap myself around a problem and solve it. And that kind of uh, determination. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been in as a hobby starting, you know, back in the eighties from alternative fuels. And I, I learned so much about electrolysis, the whole history of it, how it worked and mm. all that. And then and I, I still, I'm number. still curious about that connection. Cause I would have thought, you know, you would have gone the route of, you know, a lot of people in Hollywood who work with Stanley Kubrick on 2001, you know, deeper and deeper technology, yeah. special effects, all kinds of cool ways to make George Lucas easy for anybody, that kind of thing. 
But you yeah. go in this whole other, there's, there must have been an event. There must have been some kind of missing incident that got you thinking there's something, there's got to be something better than gasoline. Well, one of the things was when the, in the 70s, when, uh, you know, when I was in school, gas was, you know, 75 cents a gallon or, or less. And I remember when I was a kid, it was 10 cents a gallon mm-hmm. in the gas wars in Florida. Mm-hmm. And then under Nixon, he got in office and all of a sudden uh, there was this phony worldwide shortage, which we all know. Was well, there was OPEC, fake. you know, there was the huge yeah. embargo. Well, there was, you well, know. I, they made a great scapegoat, but that was, a, that was the same people who run oil companies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, Agreed. But anyway, so that, uh, that just, uh, I, I, I thought, you know, there's gotta be a better way. And when I was living in Los Angeles in the movie business in the seventies, it wasn't cleaned up like it is now. I mean, if you can call it cleaned up. But oh, so we see it a connection. Huge, smog. Oh, smog. I, I remember when I you would fly into LA and you literally couldn't see out the window and you wondered how the damn pilot was going to find those runways. Yeah. Well, I had come back from uh, visiting a friend in Oregon, beautiful little Hobbit Hill Mountain, uh, 35 acres out in the country, very nice. And I drove back over the hill coming down from Santa Barbara into L.A. And it was just this giant brown cloud up in the sky and it was choking me. And I, I remember I had the windows down. I had to roll them up. It was so bad. And I just thought this this is just a mess. And, and, and it stuck with me that experience. And eventually in, in the late mid eighties, nineties, I started experimenting with different alternative fuel things. And eventually I, I also had a film company and I was managing a TV station and but I always had this kind of side hobby. How did you and, have uh, time? I mean, come on, this is not, you don't toss this stuff off before midnight. I mean, this is this is hard well, research. Well, you know, you have work and you have play, and you have things that you're interested in. So, you know, some guys like to go out and play sports, and some guys like to go out mm. and race cars, and some guys okay. go jet skiing. And it you just know, seems to fishing. me, uh, maybe I'm fishing for a metaphysical thing here. It seems to me Walt Jenkins was somehow designed, designated to do something radically to change humanity, which you've done. And to go from the film industry where there's a million producers and actors and all that in Hollywood to this singular area where your your expertise and, and creativity really come. I just I'm, I'm trying to figure out how did you get from there to here? Well, the first major thing that I ever invented was also technical and had to do with that field. And that was virtual sets. And I invented that concept. Nobody had it before I had it. And I got involved with someone who was well known for blue screen technology in Hollywood. And unfortunately I was rather naive about patents and disclosures and things mm. like that. And, uh, and in Hollywood, three, the land of yes. the sharks. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, within three months of my disclosing a lot of stuff to him and the concepts I see in the TV technology magazine, a front page spread about what he's doing to invent this technology. Mm. And I was, I was really angry. I'll but um, that eventually that whole technology got stolen from me. But it was based on when back in 1985, Amiga computers came out. And the Amiga computer was the, the A1000 was vastly superior to any other um, consumer computer. I mean, it was miles ahead. 
it had an operating system that fit on a ROM, a prom that you could put in, plug into the front of the computer, and it did what Windows does now, and it had 16-bit color when everybody else was doing, uh, Gates was doing DOS, and mm. uh, uh, the Mac wasn't even barely out, and it, it, it wasn't, and it, it basically ripped off the, Z, the Xerox uh, system of Windows kind of Didn't stuff. Didn't Babylon 5 do their first special effects on an Amiga, the system? I believe they did. I remember reading about the guy who was doing that, and it may, it may and, and until later when the Amiga was kind of torpedoed by uh, what I call investor shark, whatever, guys that go and break up companies professionally, they, they wrecked that company, and I don't know all the details of it, but I know that I had heard rumors that the Russians were using uh, Amiga computers. Hey, but hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Walt Jenkins, erstwhile of Hollywood, inventor. We're going to switch gears and talk about energy, the energy that can help Hollywood. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. You're on the other side of midnight, and we shall return. first hour of the other side of midnight be sure to catch our complete live show every saturday and sunday night at 9 p.m pacific midnight eastern for a full three hours of this kind of exploration and be sure to visit the other side of midnight.com as you listen so you can follow our special radio with pictures guest page simultaneously the kinthea our hard-working producer specifically prepares to illustrate the topics discussed each show why because there is vital additional information on that Radio with Pictures guest page that I assure you will immeasurably enhance your understanding and enjoyment of what our guests are describing. I mean, would you rather listen to a guest talk about NASA images of ancient artifacts on Mars or simultaneously be able to follow the official NASA images showing you, as you're listening, the ruins? If you'd like to listen at your convenience to all our shows, including our unique Radio with Pictures feature, please visit theothersideofmidnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. Okay, what do you get with your Club 19.5 membership, besides helping the show literally stay on the air? Well, first of all, you will exclusively, this is not available to the general public, enjoy our enhanced ad-free podcast, courtesy of Chris Bell automatically downloading all the latest The Other Side of Midnight shows directly to your favorite podcast device so you can listen when you want to. Further, as a full Club 19.5 member, you will gain exclusive access to our The Other Side of Midnight 24-7 chat server, what I can't help calling the Open Hailing Frequencies Room, which is available only to members 24-7. Now, during the show, that's where you will find other 19.5 members and sometimes even members of the bridge crew, my guests, 
and even me uh, when I have time. Regardless, you can always relay live questions to me during the show just by going to the Open Hailing Frequencies room. Of course, when we're not on the air with your 19.5 membership, you can visit our Club 19.5 radio archives anytime and download all our shows directly to your computer, which will automatically provide you a screen size that allows you to really examine the remarkable images Kinthea posts for each show. Okay, <clears throat> here's where I need to get kind of super serious. Club 19.5 is how our show is currently solely supported. In my hopefully not vain attempt to keep commercials <clears throat> to a minimum, if you're concerned about keeping us on the air, if you want to hear information that has been vetted far more than perhaps any other show, the best way to ensure that is to join Club 19.5 and get your friends and family to join too. And if you don't know already, when I drop by open hailing frequencies, you can even ask me directly what the ultimate meaning is behind 19.5, literally the most exclusive club in the world. Please join me and my interesting guests on this very stream every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, and be sure to come back and listen to our live three-hour shows. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. Welcome back on this Saturday night, the 5th of May, to the other side. My guest this morning, Walt Jenkins, and we're talking about, well, we started out talking about Hollywood, and we're going to get to energy in a moment. But you know, Walt, I just had this feeling that since you learned this awful lesson that Hollywood steals, that combined with that anger and your interest in energy, in cars, the hobby, Thought may have crossed your mind, maybe I can outpox them on that one. Maybe I can invent something that's so cool. I mean, is that, am I, am I close? Invention in, in that manner, I, the way I got into hydrogen and uh, first electrolysis and then abandoned it and went into something else was I kind of caught a bug from a friend of mine who was talking one day about hydrogen powered cars and hydrogen as a fuel and at first i thought well you know you compress hydrogen put it in a tank and you're driving a bomb mm -hmm. and 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 that's still true today but um i we call that I the hindenburg that. effect <clears throat> which by the way is not true hindenburg did not do what it did because of hydrogen it did it because of asphalt but that's a whole other show anyway okay yeah, that's very interesting. I, I did not know about that aspect. Um, but here or there, they, I got the bug, and I, I just started playing with it. It was slow at first, and then I, I actually made some advances in electrolysis, and I, I actually got more results. Okay, stop there, out. stop there, stop there, please. Okay. Please okay. define electrolysis. For those people who are technologically mm, 
shall we say, didn't quite catch that that memo? Well, electrolysis is pretty simple. It's been around for a couple hundred years. And um, you basically take two metal plates or tubes or whatever, how you configure your anode and cathode, which is either a positive or a negative charged metal object in water. And um, the flow of energy from that will cause water to disassociate into hydrogen and oxygen, which are its component gases. So that's basic electrolysis. But the problem with electrolysis... And then, hang on, hang on. As a fuel source, then, you would take the hydrogen separate in the tank and the oxygen and then put them back together in an engine, get little bangs, little pops, little, you know, explosions, and use that to drive a car, right? Well, yeah, what they you can do it two ways you can totally separate the hydrogen and oxygen and then remix them in a ratio that's a burn ratio will change but most people just took it out as as a gas and all at once and stayed mixed in its ratio two to two two hydrogen to one oxygen and um, that dry gas if you could create enough of it you could run a car on it but it's it's it caught it, the energy required to run like a, v, a v6 engine from from electrolysis alone would it would cost you so much more energy to put into that to create that than you're going to get out of it. it it isn't really worth of it worth it to do it that way mm. and um stanley meyer had a system that uh, that he said worked that way and and uh he's well known in the field i I looked at what Stan's patents were along the way, at least on his electrolysis. I didn't know about his too much about his newer stuff before, right before he died. But um, at any rate, uh, electrolysis to me, the way I experienced it, even though I actually got a 18 wheel truck, two or two or three of them actually, I had a dump truck and a, a two 18 wheelers, and I got them at. 225% to 299% increase in fuel. Well, 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 well that's uh, impossible. Per, no, not in fuel, that... I'm sorry, in miles per gallon. Oh, okay, so okay, the, okay. The truck started out at about 5 point something, 5.9 miles per gallon, and it went up to 17.9 or nearly three, to, uh, three wow. times. That's like so it was the... almost close to 18 miles a gallon. That's in the SUV range. Yeah, and that's not bad for a big 18-wheeler. That's one uh, well, hell of a hobby, Walt. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was very interesting, and that, that thing was huge. I mean, it was six or seven feet tall, and it it burned up about between. And actually, very low energy considering what it was doing, but it it had a unique design, and I still have that hanging around, and uh, I never patented it because right about the time I was doing that, I just thought there's got to be a better way, and also. Water has a lot more energy than just hydrogen and oxygen. It's got steam, which expands 1,700 times, and that powered the Industrial Revolution for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And why throw away steam when, when it's in the water? Why, why waste it and why not get it out? So I began to think in terms of a different approach, and I kept having this haunting dream, which I didn't really understand at first, because it wait, wait. didn't make you, you you had a dream like a uh, repeating yeah, recurring was, yeah it was a dream that i kept uh, having and it was, it, Walt, it was, Walt, it, that's what i was looking for that's the missing puzzle piece or as Hitchcock would say the macguffin if you want to talk okay. movies <laughs> that's you you were impressed by something outside of you to follow yes. this up well there, there's been a lot of spiritual well that's the big thing i was I, I how do you get from movies to this 
somebody <clears throat> of a higher authority said, Char- uh, Charlie, uh, Walt, you're going to do this. This is you. Uh, it might it might be. Um, I'm not sure what it is or where it comes from, but it's definitely out there and it definitely will work on you because uh, I can tell you a whole bunch of things on different topics that, that I personally experientially know that's true. But in this particular case, what it was is that when I was in the eighth grade, I had a science teacher who had a science class where he pulled out a brick that was made out of steel and another brick, same size, made out of wood, which was actually a sawed-off two-by-four. He had a Bunsen burner. He said, if you were trapped and you had to survive overnight in a freezing temperature, which one of these would you pick to heat through the night? And most people pick the wood. I didn't pick anything because I thought it was a trick question, but I didn't know the answer. But I, I waited to see what he said. So he files off some wood into sawdust and he blows it across the Bunsen burner. Mm. And then he did the same thing with the steel. And first, before he did that, he held them both up over the Bunsen burner. And you could see the wood charring and starting to burn. All you saw well the, the steel was nothing, really. It wasn't even hot enough to turn it red or... I'm sure he couldn't have held it if it was, but it didn't do anything. So the impression at first glance was that, well, of course, the wood is the choice. But when he filed those metal filings off with a file and blew them across, they made an even bigger flame. And the density of energy packed into that steel was, I don't know how many times, but many more times than what's packed into the wood. So if you had to survive, the steel would be a better choice, although it's counterintuitive. And I remember that lesson he taught. And it kept, when I was trying to figure out how to get from electrolysis to something more efficient, that dream, that reoccurring incident kept playing in my mind over. And I really got kind of angry about it because I would pick it up almost every night and I couldn't <laughs> get it out of my head. I didn't know why it was there. Somebody was really there. wanted you to get the point. Well, eventually I mean you could I, say it's your higher self, you could say it was your yeah. subconscious. I'm 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 going for the gold here. You were yeah. see I've known so many inventors, Walt, yeah. who had similar experiences, real cutting edge technologies and human yeah. beings let them down, but their insights came from some other realm. Well, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, Troy Reed is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I, I, I've shared this with a few people, and now I guess I'm sharing it with too many mm. people. You're on the world. Come on, come on, come on. It's, <laughs> 20, it's the, the 21st world. century, but, you know. Yeah, but anyway. We but, know they're know. out there. <clears throat> yeah, but anyway, so eventually I came to understand that if if you can burn steel, which does not burn, right? It's counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. You can't burn steel. But if you could do that and make it burn, why not water? So I decided I would embark upon a path of trying to make particles of water, like in a fog. And I did that. And I, the first thing I did was I held a stun gun and a spark plug and a few other things into the fog mist. And I noticed that the glow increased around the arc. Oh, wait, run, run this by me again? Okay, so if you take like a stun gun, right? You got that arc of electricity going across a little you, lightning bolt. You mean a taser? Yeah, well, no, a taser shoots a dart into somebody. No, 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 no. Tasers also are the kind you touch somebody and there's a, two electrodes that you, 
hit them. Yeah. Okay. That 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 is a stun gun. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's how that works. So, it makes an arc of electricity an inch or so long, and it's high voltage and low amps, but it creates a lightning. And when you put that into a fog cloud, especially a dense fog cloud, mm. you you get a brighter glow around the spark. So that and this is not just optical scattering. This isn't just light effects. No, no, this is, no. This is consuming fuel from that. And why doesn't it spread? Why doesn't it consume, explode the cloud? Uh, why doesn't lightning, when it strikes in a thundercloud, explode the entire cloud? Because at atmospheric pressure and under atmospheric conditions and, and normal heat ranges, there is a certain physics that prevents that. But... If you take water droplets and inject them or suck them by um, vacuum into an engine combustion chamber and that piston goes up and it starts compressing, now your physics is going to change and go to a different set of rules. Mm -hmm. And when you create a high plasma arc in that combustion chamber, all you really need is some little bit of something, gasoline, kerosene, hydrogen, you know, propane, whatever. To explode, to start the explosion. something that will burn. Is something Why, that will hang, burn. Hang on, right, let me readily. stop you there. Why isn't the arc okay. itself sufficient to start a reaction? Well, it can, and I have systems that actually do that. But these are high plasma systems and very, very small particles. And uh, there's a few other things that have to be done to condition the water so that it will explode. <clears throat> so we're talking and, nano and raindrops. Yes, yes. And, uh, <laughs> Nano got, being got, a billionth yeah. of a meter. Really? T- um, 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 yeah. What's his name? Um, uh, Maury, Maury King was on, you know, a few months ago. Uh, Maury, Maury's an interesting guy. Oh, isn't he? Isn't he? And we, we discussed the background physics of this. So when I saw the basis of your approach, I thought, oh, light bulb, of course. Yeah. Well, it's very simple when somebody tells you about it, but it's damn hard exactly. to get Exactly. It's exactly. real hard to get to Well, you're it. familiar with uh, Peter Grenou and his son's work, aren't you? Uh, yeah, Maury informed me about that, yeah. Yeah, because I was reading I, I for years. I didn't know it before I met Nori. I was uh, reading about them in Infinite Energy magazine run by my erstwhile murdered friend, Gene Mayloff, for, you know, like 15 years. Yeah. And for the folks that haven't read Infinite Energy, what the Grenous found, Grenou, they were both physicists, they found if they put an arc through water – they got effects that were far beyond the thermal effects of just heating water, like yeah, flashing into an steam. An, you get an anomalous energy event. Yep, 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 yep. So to yes. me, it always said, well, the zero point, the torsion field, the ether, that's where the energy has to be coming from. And they figured out a way to trigger it. You yeah. have taken that idea and married it to a couple other things and made it practical for the street, which is astonishing. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, it works very well, and, and it works in any combustion engine. And um, I've recently… Uh, no, wait, you mean with any IC engine? I mean, you buy yeah, off, off the lot. You, well, have, we just, you have like a conversion yeah. kit you attach to that engine. Yeah. And bingo, it goes from running on high test yeah. to H2O. Yeah, and you can switch back and forth. Or you can mix the two in various ra- uh, ratios because the system is compatible wow. with… With vacuum induction engines and even uh, inje- fuel injected engines, you can shut off the fuel injectors, or you can. Well, I'm I'm talking to the next Elon Musk. Oh. Come on. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, 
if he has as much suppression as I've gotten, <laughs> I God bless him for. Well, he's had. Get, you know, get, I, 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 the I told the story on the show that every time some some nice story comes out about Musk, one of his you know many activities, kind of an yeah. eclectic generalist like you are. Yeah. The weirdest trolls show up in the conversations, and oh, they yes. do nothing but attack, 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 hateful stuff. And I wondered, you know, for a while, I said, why have they all got it in for Musk? The answer is. Musk and a few others like you guys are the heart of saving civilization, and somebody does not want civilization to be saved. Period. Well, I think I, I don't know if they. they well, there. there you don't are, think it's that big? You talk. You talk about the Illuminati and all that, and and uh, there are certain elements that would like to see the population of the world down to five hundred, five million, or something, and Half so they can million. control was, it all. That was and, the so-called guidestones in uh, yeah, Georgia. the guidestones and the eugenics and all that, and and they. They unfortunately are in control of the economic system for the planet, but the the back to the technology it, it um, it's met with a lot of suppression and I was there was attempt on my life and all kinds of stuff and uh, mm. a lot of greedy greedy predator types showed up and uh, just um, carpetbaggers and I was keeping fairly low profile. I did put a web page together, but I didn't advertise it. I never said much about it and. It wasn't really well known, but a few people stumbled across it, and I'm not sure how Maury got on onto it. But once he got onto it, he started realizing by reading patents and other things, and figured out a whole lot that I didn't think somebody else would actually figure out. And I got a little angry about that because he's blabbing it in his books. <laughs> <laughs> and I was saying, "Well, wait." Well, wait, once I mean, you know, it, you you first. you may have had to go the hard way, but remember, Maury King is like a sponge. He absorbs, you know, inventor A, yeah. inventor B, inventor C, and he distills and Gestalt looks yeah, at the no, big I, picture. He's and, a good guy. I, I like yeah, him. He's yeah. a great, great guy. But see, that's actually your about other people I knew nothing about. That is him. your insurance, as Art and I yeah. discussed years and years ago. The way you stay alive in this game, and I feel I'm part of the same game because you would be. They also tried to kill me, uh, yeah, and they missed. And of course, if you try once and you miss, that's that's the only chance you get. And there are people in my life who don't understand that, but it's because then if they get you a second time. Everything you have said, everything you've written, everything you put on the web suddenly becomes front page news. And they do not want that. They cannot afford that. The idea is to keep it below the radar so that only the weirdos and the crazies pay attention. Yeah. We are now light well, years I beyond the weirdos and the crazies. This is a mainstream show. We're reaching the world. So have at it. All right. Well, on that subject, I, I, I will say this. I thought long and hard about this dilemma. You know, what do you do? Do you bring it out of the closet and tell everybody about it and, and then invent, you know, or cause your own death or what do you do? So then I decided, well, the, if the in, if the killing or the threat or the shut up and go away and don't talk about this is the impetus to preserve the status quo, then how about this? I prepared everything I know about all this and several other subjects like solar cells that I'm working on that are much more efficient than solar cells now. They're on a different, completely different technology. Batteries that are much higher energy density and much lighter weight and, and other things that I'm working on. And I put all that into information packets and distributed them oh. to some friends and others who a few who very know what's in there a doomsday and, project and say okay now you tried once if you do it again 
this is going out. I don't care if I die naturally. It's still going out around the world hmm. on the Internet. <laughs> it will spread fast, far and wide, and you will accelerate what yep. you're trying yep. to stop. Yep, yep. And in so the era of social media, that is totally a proactive, reasonably good solution. Well, it seems to be working, but nothing's 100%. So <laughs> I'll keep my fingers crossed. But anyway, to get back to the technology, it um, – it, that haunting dream was really the, one of the keys that shifted me away from electrolysis and into the potential. And oh. this is where it went to. Uh, electrolysis, you, you're going to take 10 to 20 amps, and you might get 10 to 20% gain in mileage for a while. Then the metal plates will anodize, and they'll stop working, and the system will quit, and there's a lot of problems. And um, long term, it doesn't seem to me to be quite a good solution. But this requires less than 180 milliamps DC at 24 volts mm. to create, to create, convert water on demand as it's being used and made into a fuel that burns in an engine. And it has no downside like compressed hydrogen in tanks and fuel cells or compressed hydrogen in tanks. Now, I've never known a water tank to explode. Well, if it's a water heater, but that's a whole other. Well, a hydrogen tank is a different thing. Exactly. It will explode very seriously. Yeah. But my system just keeps water as water, and right before it goes in the engine, it's processed, and it's converted, and it's it becomes a burnable fuel. The input energy to re, to convert that is less than 180 milliamps, 24 volts DC. And I'm working on a system now that I have basically got it working. I just need to tweak it a bit. Five volts input from a five-volt battery can run an engine up to about 10 to 12 horsepower. Hmm. And uh, so the efficiencies on the input versus the output, and then I get some engineering types who don't think about the process all the way through, and they go, well, you can't do that. That's a violates the second law, blah, blah, blah. And they, they go bananas. And then I say, well, you know, the, the energy is not coming from the 5% input. That's nothing but a leverage to convert the water to a burnable force. The fuel and the energy in the water is where the energy is coming from. And that's no different than putting gasoline or any other burnable fuel in an engine. But they don't so have the physics background to know that that's real. Well, most of them engineers that and, – and I put engineers in several different categories. But there's the open-minded, the, the guy that wants to learn. He'll approach you with a question. Or a lot of questions. Then there's this arrogant, condescending, I know everything, but I bring, <laughs> my brain is locked in the box and I cannot see outside of it. And you're outside of it and you can't possibly be real. Uh, that kind of guy. And uh, those kind of people just irk. I, I walk the other way as soon as I get wind that they're coming. And believe me, I've had some major investors pick some of those very types. And in the last year, I had three different engineers on the phone who were supposed to come down here and test this technology and see for themselves and kick the tires. And I was willing to show them a lot more than I tell most people just to get the investor guy convinced that it was true mm -hmm. and not some BS. And this one guy who had worked at General Motors for a long time and had never done this and tried but never got it, so – I mean, not my way, but some wait, wait. Way. You mean this is an engineer who worked for GM and he wanted yeah, he to do this whole alternative fuel yeah, thing? He worked, he, he worked on water fuel and other projects for GM. But he couldn't but make it work? Nothing, well, none of the – they couldn't get it to work. But you know, he, I spent almost an hour with this guy on the phone 
And I'm sure he's quite a nice guy, but from my point of view, for the purpose of what was being transacted there, he was supposed to come down for the money guy and do the test and do a report. And instead, what he did was spend 55 minutes on the phone telling me about his history and how many guys, <laughs> guys like me he'd found out were fakes and frauds and didn't have anything. And, you know, and when he got done with that, I said, well, do you want to come down here and see this for yourself before you make a judgment? And he goes, nope, nope, I'm retired. I'm having fun. I don't want to come down there. I'm not going to do it. Wow. So I said, okay, well, obviously. So I, I was dumbfounded because I thought the money guy had hired this guy to do this or mm. selected him. And I get word later that I got a negative report from this guy, and yet he never saw anything. He knew nothing about what I was doing. He didn't want to hear about it. So, But he was ready to, and willing to make a judgment using his credentials. So why did the money guy pick a dumb engineer guy to be his filter? How did the guy well, ever I, make money if he was I, picking the wrong I, people? I think, I think it was because he looked around for credentials, and this guy had G GM behind him for a number of years. Yeah, and that would do it. Blah, blah, blah. So I, I don't know if he knew him or how that came about, but then right after that, I, I, com I complained, and I said, well, this guy didn't come and check out anything. Uh, I didn't get a fair review. Is this, this, how is this going to proceed? I think, I think maybe. You so know, you're maybe talking to the money guy. Yeah, and directly. I'm saying, you know, I. Maybe I'm thinking I really don't need your money, and because if you're gonna put me through this, mm. I don't need it. And so uh, he picked two more guys, and they—they, they, I think, if I have this right, they were from MIT engineering, had graduated with engineering degrees, but I don't think they actually worked as engineers. They worked in the alternative energy venture capital side of the business. And would use, I guess they use their engineering skills. Well, they were high-paid consultants, and that's an yeah, old well, Washington. No, they, they actually had a venture capital fund that they managed, and they went around buying up green energy companies and flipping them, apparently. Oh. And that's what they wanted to do with my oh, company. Oh, of course. But then I said, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to give up 51%. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. And uh, I, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not going to allow predators to walk in and take this. So... But here's the gist of where I'm going with this. And this is what you put up with when you're an inventor, when from their point of view, you don't have the academic credentials to do what you're doing. And therefore, you can't possibly know this or figure it out. And you don't have this and you don't have that. So this is what they came up with when, when they called later to the money guy. And they also refused to come down and take a look at it. No objectivity at all. They told that guy that I was probably see I've got a four inch cube box and there and some one that one iteration is just one box one iteration is two boxes. Now they got on the email or the phone or something and they told the, the money guy <laughs> that um, I was probably putting sodium metal in the box and that would create if you poured enough water in it would create enough hydrogen to run for ten or twenty minutes. No and I started laughing and I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you have that guy come down here and I'll let him sit right next to the box. <laughs> and I'll tell get what, back along the way hold, the hose to put the water in. Hold it I'll there. We're at the top of the yeah, hour. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss this. So we'll, okay. we'll go back over <laughs> that. My guest this morning is Walt Jenkins. We're talking about fuel running a car. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland and we shall return.
I want to talk to you in the audience around the planet tonight. I want to talk to you about the kind of meta objectives of the Enterprise Mission and the Other Side of Midnight, this radio show that you're listening to right now. As you know, we have sponsored a number of important research projects through this show over the last couple, three years. We've raised money for electrogravitics, for M-Drive research. Um, we're looking very hard now at this whole orgone accumulator technology. And I want to use the Accutron, this inertial sensor, which I developed following the lead of Bruce De Palma many, many decades ago, to put the Accutron in an orgone situation, in the accumulator or in an orgone blanket, these multi-layered uh, concoctions that somehow seem to trap or densify the ether. And yes, ether is real. There is a physics of the ether. And the problem is that it all costs money. It all costs funds. So we've added a new wrinkle to the Other Side of Midnight website. Over on the left-hand side, if you go to theothersideofmidnight.com, and just look over on the left, you'll see under the uh, banners which say things like home, tonight show, there's a donate button. And there's also some donate buttons in the middle of the page if you uh, happen to get the right show. But mainly over on the left, it says donate now. Normally, I don't like asking folks for money. But money is energy. Money is the ability in this culture to do things, to accomplish things. There is a huge need and necessity for a game changer. We need to bring humanity back together to realize its commonality and not its differences. And that's in part what this show is trying to do with a variety of programs. And part of our research effort is trying to do with a variety of, of uh, projects there. So if you have some spare change, if you have more than spare change, go to that button, go to the left-hand donate now button and click on it and send us what you can spare because Communication in the 21st century costs. Everything costs, but communication more than anything costs because you have transmitters and internet connections and bright people and complexity of computers. Oh my God, complexity of computers. It all ultimately has to be paid for somehow. And as you know, you can also join Club 19.5. That's an easy way to support the show because then you get archives, you get seminars. You get this thing we're going to be doing in the next few weeks on how to look at these images. And um, there are ways you can look that will give you insights to what you're seeing that will not be found uh, on NBC or CBS or ABC. So again, go to the left-hand side of tonight's show page or the guest page. Click on the donate button and send us what you can spare because believe me, every dollar helps. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. 
You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll have access to a private chat server that member used to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question that will be read on the air to the guest. And you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies. We realize that not everyone wants to call in live, and this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate. Club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows, ask questions, suggest new guests, and I may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions. Also, the entire bridge crew is in these participating chat channels, so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward, and boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>